You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica, episode 66. I'm Jessica Pearson, certified life coach. And I'm Beth Barnett Babel, integrative nutrition therapist. This week, we are diving straight into our episode, so no brand bashing today. (laughs) In this episode and the next episode, we're going to be answering your questions. So these are questions that were submitted by people via email and Instagram. If you guys ever have future questions, we'll tell you at the end of this one where you can send those. But y'all had some great questions, and we are so delighted to answer them. And one question will definitely be getting its own full episode next year. So I can't wait to do that. Okay. So today, many of the questions that were submitted were fitness and food related. So we're just going to put all those together. And this first one we're starting with, I had to start with because I was so concerned and I wish I could personally call this person up and help them because it made my heart hurt. My science belly, like gut intuition hurt. And so we want to get started with this one because I think it's really important for people to hear this question. Well, and I think some of these questions are really common questions. There are things along this line that I've seen on, you know, Google search or whatever. So I'm glad that we're answering some of these questions that people wanted to remain anonymous. And I think it's good because we're getting these real honest questions. So yes, this person specifically said, how do you advise limiting carbs while also lifting. I brought my carbs down below 20 grams. And although I was losing weight, I could barely lift. So I am lifting heavy now. How should I calculate the appropriate amount of carbs for a set before I actually lift? Lifting weights, especially heavy weights, needs carbohydrates. If you are a sprinter, you need carbohydrates. That function of creating power and then also creating muscle is not just a protein-based action. So the carbohydrates are needed for the actual energy of the motion. Yes, you could technically create some creatine. Creatine is one of like the compounds that we make to create power, but it's largely created from a carbohydrate component. So you can take it as a supplement, but you may not repair muscle-wise by getting, if you are too low carbohydrate. So we need the carbohydrates for the energy. So we will feel our energy tank as this person did, and then also the recovery process. So we really need the carbohydrates to do that. People that regularly lift heavy weights, like very heavy weights and have very specific goals eat like a few hundred grams of carbohydrates a day when they're building. Yeah. So they are lifting several hundred grams of carbohydrates a day. And then the other thing that's going to happen is that going that low in carbohydrates is also going to start to impact thyroid function, which is turning your cells on to tell them what they do. So it's like, here's what you need to do and turn on to do it. So the thyroid hormone function, and if that's not working, then you know, your recovery process is going to be low. You are going to be very low energy. Other metabolic functions are going to start to decline as well. So going that low for multiple days is for most people not necessary or needed or beneficial. There are a few circumstances where going that low might be helpful for long stretches of time, but for most people, it's not. So if you really wanted to stay on a very low carbohydrate diet. I still struggle with my answer on this, 
but it's at least getting somewhere in the process. I don't think this is enough still, but I would say go up to a minimum of 75 grams of carbs and eat the carbs around your workout before and after. I still don't think it's enough, but I don't have more information about this person to know more specifics, right? So then you would play from there. So what does that feel like? Is that enough? Do you need to go up? from there. So do you have enough energy to do the exercise to recover and then still have energy to do all the other things that you're doing in your life? And you may find that it will work for a little bit, but then you start feeling depleted. And so then you need to go up. So it there is no set rule. You have to do it based on you and what your needs are. And so that means having energy to do all the things that you want to do and recover and whatnot. Yeah. When I saw the 20, I did think, wow, that's probably way too low. Again, we don't know who this person is or what their specific needs or goals are. So it's tough to make exact like recommendations. But for most people, and I think that comes from the keto world, right? They're like 20 grams of carbs is like, where, how you stay in ketosis or whatever. But yeah, higher than that, you can be in ketosis, but yeah, yeah. totally. So I just I think it's just like bad advice that has come from the keto diet land of where people yeah. say that they need to be. And that's also, I think people are talking about net carbs, not totals or mm. whatever. You know what I mean? Like either the, way, yeah, either way, it's too low. And then also just maybe this misnomer of like, losing weight while building muscle sometimes is a challenge. Like if you're only looking at the scale while you're building muscle, I don't think you're going to be pleased because you're going to gain when you build muscle. Yeah. And you know, what's known in the fitness world related to weightlifting is, is that when you are building, you are also, there is some fat building that comes with it. And then they do a deload period in weights, and then they also cut their carbohydrates down, and then they burn some of the fat off, so then you can see the thing. But that is a challenging place to live in, right? Like, it is very difficult. The research is, you know, starting to come out because they didn't often research highly trained individuals for long periods of time. So oftentimes the studies are either too short or by people that are getting into weightlifting. So anyways, it is very difficult to live in shred mode and people don't live in shred mode for long. Yes, it looks nice on, you know, Instagram and magazines and things like that. But the people that are doing that don't live in that place. So they do go into that cycle of deloading with their weight amount and with their food. So they do change their foods. And then I've also seen in individuals that are very smart and, you know, do this through science and stuff like that, that they will have people eat much higher carbohydrates on the days that they are doing their lifting. And then they will eat much lower amounts on the days that they are not. And so they can carb cycle that way. I personally have never walked anybody through that. It is not my expertise, but I know it's out there. And so there are possibilities to play with, but know that, you know, eating carbs and lifting is part of it. And also if you are eating, staying very low carbohydrate, you need to continue to find more sources of vitamins and minerals. Even 20 grams, that's only getting you a few cups of vegetables a day, which is like where we're getting a lot of our vitamins and minerals. And so you need those vitamins and minerals to make, you know, the process happening of being able to lift weights. So you would have to supplement in some way because you're not getting it from carbohydrate sources from beans or vegetables. So 
Yeah. So if you're just kind of an average person that's trying to lose weight, we don't recommend being someone who's going through like a build shred, like weightlifter style lifestyle, because it's not very necessary. You know, and if you are someone who's looking for that, then there's other people who are going to walk you through that. That's not really our jam. No, but know that there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, variability in people and you got to you know, find the thing that's, that's working for you. But lifting needs carbohydrates. Okay, so this wasn't really a question. It was kind of a statement, but I think that we can understand what she's getting at or they're getting at. So it's just talking about weight loss and exercise and how does that fit with our monthly cycle? How can I take hormones into account as far as how I, like, move my body along with being a woman that has a cycle? Yes, I actually really love this question because it's something that I have been learning for a couple year, year, a little bit now. And I think it is really helpful. And first I'm going to start with the female side of the question and then I'll answer for males. So men stick around for the answers so you can learn something about the ladies in your life. And also I will put a big caveat that my answer is based on what I've learned from a former athlete, nurse, and now a certified trainer who took all of her skills and put them into cyclical fitness. And her name is Courtney Bablia and she has an Instagram called Courtney Keeping Balance. And so she educates in her fitness programs how our hormones, estrogen and progesterone impact us both in our fitness goals and how we refuel. In her account, she does not talk about weight loss at all. It's all about fitness and our fitness goals. So building healthy muscle and strength and being in tune with our cycle, using our natural rhythms of estrogen and progesterone for our benefit to get our most gain. And because in fitness culture, we often see that constantly going all out on workouts that we need to be doing three to five days a week, every week of the month, or some sort of like heavy lifting, like we always need to be progressing in our lifting all the time. And that often leads to burnout, both mentally, physically, and emotionally. And Go does ahead. this apply to people who are also on birth control? Or No. So it's not because birth control kind of is a false cycle. Yeah. It's like, okay. So this yes, is really, you're not truly cycling, not taking birth control. Correct. So you have okay. to be naturally cycling. You could still do the plan. You just would not line up exactly. And then so some of them would be, but I think it's a good plan either way. It's also not meant for women in perimenopause, but I'm using it in that yeah. way as well. So like, cause I it's find it really helpful. For example, during our follicular phase, we have more oomph with estrogen levels rising and so we are also more sensitive to insulin. So meaning we are better able to handle our higher loads of carbohydrates. So these things go really well together so we can properly fuel the heavier, harder workouts. And then we, as we go into our luteal phase, our estrogen is going down. And so this is a good time to work on our endurance. So you'll see some people be like, in our luteal phase, it really needs to be calm and quiet and you know, do these really gentle workouts. And that's like half of the month. Like that's not reasonable. So you can absolutely still do it, but you're, you're going more towards like, so the higher loads would be higher weights, shorter reps, right? And then you would go down to, in your luteal phase, going more towards like 70, 60, 70%. So you're building more endurance, but you're still like 
you know, and just to recap, out. so follicular phase is the time after your period until you begin to ovulate, correct? Yeah, you some people might still be bleeding starting like day three, your estrogen is like already ramping back up so some people Mm -hmm. might still be bleeding during that time like you know in that time but you're ramping back up yes and then luteal luteal after ovulation yeah and so estrogen goes down and progesterone goes up because if you've you know been able to have a successful implantation you need progesterone to keep that egg viable to keep the pregnancy alive so that's what that is and so progesterone goes up oh not pregnant pressure goes down we have a bleed yeah good times yeah. good times <laughs> so when we leave luteal and so we're doing more endurance based activities and our insulin sensitivity might be decreasing so we would adjust our carbohydrates to that and some of our other nutrients and so then as we are in our actual menstrual cycle and to the bleed part of it, menstruation, then it's not like, oh, I need to rest. I can't do anything. But some of us are very tired and depleted. And so, you know, doing something more like a walk or gentle yoga or something might feel better. But if you have the energy, then you can do it. But it doesn't, you don't have to push. Like you can mm-hmm. still create movement without taxing yourself out. Everybody has different energy needs moving through their cycle. Some people get very tired during ovulation or luteal phase might be more of a transition for them than others. And so it's all based on you, but here are some guidelines. So it's like you don't have to force your tempo run when you're starting menstruation. You know, like don't force it. Like you could go out for like, oh, you know, a jog, But you don't have to force a tempo run just because that's on the schedule. Yeah. That's usually when I'm trying to listen to my body and I'm like, do I have energy? Do I not have energy? I will also check into where I'm at in my cycle. Because if I am not feeling super energetic and it lines up with, oh, I'm like about to start my period. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. And I might be nicer to myself in that phase versus when it's like, well, this I don't know if this is a great excuse today or not. Yeah, and oftentimes if you're a woman that doesn't have debilitating cramps and things like that, then go for a walk. Like sometimes a walk feels impossible or doing some really nice like floor mobility stuff. Like sometimes that alone can be really helpful. But if you're somebody that really struggles and has debilitating cramps, like honor that, man. Yeah. Rest. (laughs) Yeah. So I've also heard that as we get into that tail end of luteal into menstruation our dopamine levels can decline and that's partially why we get certain cravings Mm -hmm. chocolate yep (laughs) so there are fluctuations here as well and you know I don't know. Could you have some chocolate to boost some dopamine? Sure. It is kind of a bummer that, you know, that insulin sensitivity changes. Like, I feel like it should be switched, right? Like, Right. It's I, not, unfortunately. I, yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, can I not have more carbs when I'm on my period? Because that's when I really want them. I think this is all just like a guide, not a rule, right? And I will say, while I'm thinking about it, that this is why women that are going through perimenopause are like, everything's the same. I'm doing everything the same, but I'm still gaining weight. It's because our estrogen is declining. So with that, our muscle mass is actually declining with it. There are, there's research that has recently come out about that shift that as estrogen declines, our muscle mass is 
decreasing and our fat mass increases without, you know, any other changes. And also on top of it, we're losing our insulin sensitivity. So in addition to osteoporosis prevention, this is why continuing to find ways to lift heavy things, to do hard things is important because we need to be able to increase our insulin sensitivity so we don't feel like we're not able to eat the foods that we enjoy in the same way. And also so we can keep our muscle mass up as we go, as we age, because that's the biggest predictor of health in our old, older age. Yeah. Mobility is everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. So for the men, they really are just dealing with testosterone and that has very little fluctuation. It's not zero flux, but it is dramatically less fluctuation than estrogen and progesterone. So males, if you were to base your workouts off of testosterone, it is a little higher in the morning than it is in the evening, but it's not like dramatic. So it depends on what your days are like. And so if you do feel that extra energy in the morning from elevated cortisol waking you up and the extra testosterone in the morning, that's when you would work out. But if your daily schedule doesn't allow for that, then it's literally for men, do whatever it takes to be consistent. And there is some natural decline as men age in testosterone, but it's not nearly as dramatic as it is for women. So if you can keep your muscle mass up, your testosterone will stay with it. So part of the middle age creep for men is that they get busy and they're not doing the same things to keep their physical fitness up. And so then their muscle mass declines, their testosterone can go with it. So as fat mass increases in men, testosterone goes down and estrogen can go up depending on the amount of fat. So it's not a guarantee. So they do, you know, have some mirroring there as well, but it's a minimal hormonal change compared to women over a month in a lifetime. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we have another exercise question. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So this person asked, what are your thoughts on counting steps? Is it important? I don't really understand it. Is this for people who work desk jobs? <laughs> yeah. So counting steps in, is hilarious to me because the 10,000 steps did not actually originate from scientific studies on this is the magical number that we need in order to prevent disease. In the 1960s, a company in Japan came up with a pedometer and the Japanese character for the 10,000 looks like a walking man. And I did look it up and I was like, oh, they're not wrong. So it's related to that product. It was like, oh, like get to get to this. It was called like the 10,000 step something or other. Oh God, it was hilarious. So it's marketing. Yeah. So you get to that, you know, that character and it, but the name of the product was related to that. However, that being said, plenty of research on the benefits of movement throughout the day related to step count has, you know, kind of shown, yes, these are good numbers. So you can still get benefits from less steps a day, less than 10,000 steps a day. So each leap over 2,500 steps a day has a large percentage of reduction in disease. So as you get toward the 10,000 steps, the difference in the reduction of risk is vastly greater than the 2,500 steps. 
the reason why people like to track it on their smartwatches or pedometers or what have you is because as humans, we tend to not be good historians of what we do on a regular basis and how much we are moving. We often overestimate how well we've done or what we've done. So it kind of gives people an idea of what might be some good movement goals. And also, if you're somebody that exercises, particularly in the morning, there's this strange thing that happens where we are less likely to then move more later. So I totally oft- get that. Like if you yeah. go do boot camp in the morning, you're like, well, I'm done for the day. Yeah. Just- so it's it's not intentional. It's just it's like one of those things that that sort of happens that people might tend to sit more later in the day because they've already done their vigorous activity for the day. And so some of it has been suggested maybe it's adaptive, you know, being that we need to conserve energy then for the rest of the day. So a lot of it is not considered intentional, but some people are like, oh, well, I did it. I'm good. I don't need anything. But what we really need is like movement throughout the day. So say you are a person that works out in the morning, you want to make sure that you're still like moving throughout the day. Do you need to get to 10,000? Probably not. But I always just see, can I get in the ballpark of it? Because then that means I know I did something all day. And I include my movement time in my 10,000 steps. So if I say I walk that day or run that day or whatever, my 10,000 steps are a part of that. Yeah, for sure. Are there people that don't count that? (laughs) Yeah, I would think, yeah. Like, no, I think some people might think, well, it's like one or the other, right? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it doesn't have to be like, you know, one huge workout. It can just be moving around all day. So, yeah, if you do have a desk job, I feel like that's where it's challenging because you do need to still get up and move around. Yeah, absolutely. As much as you can. Okay, finally, Jessica, this question is for you. How does a person know when they are healthy enough and can stop chasing perfection? Ugh, I just love this question so much. <laughs> because it's, I feel like it's an answer that we work on with various clients where this is a choice, right? And I think a lot of times we have these fantasies of, where we want to be, how we want to look. And, you know, you could spend the rest of your life thinking that you're trying to achieve this, mm-hmm. or we can get like realistic with ourselves and make a decision about what's right for us. Just like I decided a while ago, like, I don't need a six pack. <laughs> like, I just am not, I don't care if I have six pack abs. I mean, sure, it would be nice, but I know for me, it's going to take a lot of work that I don't really want to do. But as far as health goes, healthy enough, again, I think can be defined on your own terms. But what we like to think about is getting your lab work done. Mm -hmm. And like, where, you know, are there things that you can improve? Like, what is your blood sugar doing? How is your cholesterol? Like, is is it like, even if it's higher, like, what kind of cholesterol is it? I'm like, help me out here with some of these numbers. Like, what's your vitamin D level? Yeah. You know, so like, are all of your lab numbers looking good? And I would Mm -hmm. say that to me is like above all most things. But then also, how do you feel? So day to day, like, am I sleeping okay? Like, do I wake up really exhausted? Or do I wake up refreshed? Do I have energy to get things done throughout the day without slogging through and feeling terrible? Do I have mental clarity? 
you know, and then also just my emotional well-being. Like, how is my mental health doing? And I feel like if chasing perfection affects those, then I'm not going to do that. So it's up to you to decide, like, to look at maybe the evidence, pull in a little bit of data and say, is this going to be good enough for me? Or is continuing down this path of chasing perfection, like, is it helping or hurting? Yes, I agree on the helping or hurting. Yeah, I watch a lot of these celebrity people on longevity. Some of them are doctors, some of them are not. And they are chasing this perfection. It's like, how do I biohack and optimize all these things? And I'm like, those things are a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Like if I did all those things that are recommended to, you know, have this quote unquote healthy aging and perfect health, I would have no time to do anything else. Yeah. You can like, really go wouldn't... down the rabbit hole of like doing all the things. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so I got to wake up, meditate, cold plunge, yeah. do all these things. Drink your this... fresh squeezed green juice. Yeah. Do all these things. Eat this particular way. You know, exercise this way, you know, la, 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 la. Like, I, I literally would have no time to think about or do anything else. And I think part of being a human is not being perfect in that way. Like, I'm not going to get it 100%. There's going to be a natural decline. That's part of life. You live and you die. And the people that can do that and are doing that, I have no shade against that. Like, right. good for you, you know? Yeah. And for people, I think there are people who are just more motivated. Like, there's people out there running 100-mile races, and amazing. good for them. Yeah, because that's not going to be me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'd be like, wow, yeah. no thanks. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it's kind of like that. Like, what, what am I, I'm a 5K person, you know? Like, I'll do a 5K. Maybe, maybe a 10K. Maybe. Eh, not anymore. <laughs> but I have no desire to run a marathon. I never have. And I think 100 miles in is insane. So we just have to look at our own lives and say, like, well, what's going to work for me and with me and help me feel better? What's reasonable and realistic in my life? And what are my priorities? Like, yes, health is a huge priority for me, but it's not my only priority. Right. It's in the constellation of things and how do I make it fit with it? And because it? of that, I have to accept my like 24% body fat or whatever, you know, like it just is what it is. I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder. I'm not trying to do these certain things. And I, I am fully at peace with that. And I think the other part too is finding the peace is important because I think sometimes if you are constantly beating yourself up for not being something that you think you're supposed to be versus like, what if you just let that goal go? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I tell clients, I'm like, you know, you don't even have to be here. Like, we don't, you don't even have to want to lose weight if you don't want to. Yeah. Like, you could just decide to go after something else. And it's kind of a mind meld for them to think like, what do you mean I don't have to chase this particular number on the scale? I'm like, you don't. Literally, nobody's telling you you have to. Well, <laughs> so society and doctors are... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and, but do you have to listen to it? Right. Oh, yeah. So right. it's like, yeah. What do you? And and then it's like, well, what do I want? If it is something that you really do want, then let's go after it with like a sound mind and healthy viewpoint versus trying to hate ourselves into this place or going after it just because we're trying to be perfect. 
Like, no, I want to enjoy the process, not just the end result. Exactly. So I don't know. I think we could make like an entire podcast on this, but it's, I think it's a great question because it's like, when is enough enough? When do I stop constantly seeking and chasing something? Mm -hmm. It's like when it starts to feel bad. If you're enjoying it, keep going. If it feels bad, stop. Right. All right. Well, I sure hope we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. We'd love to see you inside of our interactive online course called Foundations. So go to pathnutrition.com backslash foundations to learn more and sign up today. And if you would like to have a question answered in the future, then please be sure to reach out to us on DM us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition or email email us us. at at info at pathnutrition.com. But no spam, please. Like, if you want to sell me something, please don't. <laughs> Quest- like, real questions, comments would be nice, but no hate mail and no spam. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.